This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. This is Speakernomics, the podcast about becoming a better speaker and building a better business. I'm your host, Tom Singer, and today we're going to talk about how to generate more revenue by having big back-end products. And our guest is Michelle Villalobos. Hey, Michelle, welcome to Speakernomics. Thank you. Glad to be here. So we're recording this online, but you and I are neighbors because you've recently, during the pandemic, moved to Austin, Texas, right? Yes, sir. So I'm doing this electronically, but you're just down the street. (laughs) So Michelle, let's talk about this. What are your two tips for speakers on how to build big back-end revenues? Okay, the first tip is to begin with the big back end in mind. And the second is sell it first and figure it out later. All right, we're going to have some fun unpacking those tips and looking at how you can make more revenues besides your on-stage revenues. So for those of you who don't know Michelle Villalobos, she has built a successful speaking business by speaking both for free and for fee. She speaks all the time to promote not only her speaking career, but also how she teaches people to really create these additional offerings that they have. This coming year, she is the chair of the Million Dollar Speakers Group. And what she does is she helps superstars monetize their brilliance instead of just their time. Now, she helps them focus on what they do naturally and helps make business more joyous and more fulfilling. Think about that for a minute, everybody. Don't you want your business to be more joyous and more fulfilling? I know I do. So, Michelle, let's dive into this whole idea of how do you build big back-end revenues? Your first tip was begin with that back-end in mind. So, we've all heard begin with the end in mind, right? What what do you mean by this? I mean that many speakers look at speaking as the end, like trying to get more gigs. And then when they get one and they deliver it, they go and get the next one. And what I believe is that the speaking is the beginning of the relationship. I look at speaking as marketing and that it's for me, it's a means to an end. It's a means to the big back end because the big back end one of my definitions of a big back end is that it must have monthly recurring revenue so that you can sell it once and then it's on autopilot for at least a year, if not more than a year. So what what begin with the big back end in mind means is what is that mastery level offering that your clients need? They may not necessarily they know, know they need it and that's okay with structure that I'm going to lay out today. But what is that big back end? What is that mastery level version of what you teach or what you do that they need, that the best ones need, the ones that you actually want to work with long term need and potentially want? So we begin with that and then we work backwards to build out the rest of the model so that all roads lead to that big back end because that's where the recurring revenue is and that's where the, the security and this like it feels very good to know you've got money coming in recurring that you can map out your revenues six eight nine ten eleven months out so that's the goal 
So, you know, it's interesting because I got into this business about 15 years ago. And at the time, the goal was for most speakers, at least the ones who, who I knew and the ones that I admired, it was speaking, getting the next speech, getting the next speech, getting the next speech. The product was the keynote. And a lot of people kind of turned up their noses, if you will, or, or at least frowned a little at the idea of selling something else that, that the speech leads to. So whether that was consulting or coaching or a program, there were people who were like, oh, well, no, you want to be a pure keynoter right. and this and that. But if we learned anything during the pandemic, <laughs> it's that... You know, having a single revenue source can be, you know, kind of scary. I know it, I got hit really hard. I know a lot of speakers don't talk about the pandemic. We pretend that two years didn't happen. But for many of us, it was really hard if we didn't have other types of products and services that we could offer besides live on stage keynoting. So when you talk about this, what are some of the shifts? Because you've been in the business a long time. What are some of the shifts you've seen? Because now it seems most speakers are looking for what is my course? What is my class? What is my workshop, et cetera. So what are the shifts that you've seen around the speaking business being tied to this back-end product as well? Well, I feel like you're right. I started my business 15 years ago as well. Um, and I got into the speaking side of it, like maybe 10 years ago, I joined NSA about 10 years ago. And from then to now, it's almost unrecognizable because back then I truly felt like, you know, it was a shameful thing to speak for free or, and, or to sell from your engagements that it was smarmy, sleazy, cheesy, all the things. Now I feel like there, even NSA at a, at a corporate level, you know, at all levels, people are much more open to different models. And I think that that not only is it great to be open to different models, it's great to be open in general. Like openness is a value that I hold. And I think most of us hold that I think elevates everything when people are just more open and less judgy and less like, well, you have to do it this way or that way. I feel like we're, we're elevating consciousness in the NSA. I feel it. And that is true. I think that there's been a, a big shift in the business inside the National Speakers Association and beyond that speaking is one of the pillars that hold up the, the whole roof. And in order to have a, a nice stable roof, you need to have several pillars there holding holding that up. Well, and what I want to say is like, at the end of the day, if you think that speaking is the goal, then you are on the wrong playing field. You know, in other words, the goal, the reason I got into it, the reason you got into it, I think the reason all of us got into it isn't so we could speak. It's so we could transform. So we could lead people towards a better way to live, a better way to work, a better way to be healthy, whatever is our thing. We didn't get into it to speak. That's a vehicle. It's a format. It's a medicine, not the cure. The cure is what's the outcome. And if you really see that the outcome is something important and valuable, then you know that you can't do that in a 60 minute or a 90 minute keynote. And yes, you can kick something off. You can catalyze transformation. You can have a big impact in a moment or in a few moments, but you're not going to have lifelong transformation that way. And so having something on the back end, not only is great for us from a business and strategy perspective, it's great for the world because that's where lasting true shift and change happens. So for a lot of us who kind of had the traditional speaker model for a long time, it's hard to find what is that other product because we were just, you know, focused on, on the one thing. For myself, one of the things that I did during the pandemic is I got certified by two other people to train their workshops so that I can do my keynote. But my actual keynote didn't lend itself to going in and doing a half day or a full day workshop, just the content alone. But I found a couple of other pieces that were, you know, 
that held up what my message was. And now I can go in and do that. And I'm seeing that companies and people in the audience, they like the fact, if they think you're great on stage, that there's something more they can get from you. Yes. Yeah. That's a great point that people also want that. People want that, you know, people are, I think speakers in the past have been so scared of being salesy that they've forgotten that sales is service. It's a step towards serving people at a higher level. And so by not providing that, and because you don't want to be salesy or whatever, like you are literally taking that opportunity away from somebody to really have that, that true lasting transformation. So in my case, I got certified by two outside organizations so that I would have content that I could sell to companies to come in and do continuing stuff. But that's not the right path for everybody. In a lot of cases, they might have content where they could create this big back-end product. And so this mastery level product, as you called it. So how does somebody identify if they've been a speaker or they're becoming a speaker, what is that transformational mastery level product? And then how do they go out and create it? <laughs> that is the work, right? Like that in, in the, the smallest nutshell, I would say looking at your best client's or the people that you have loved working with the most and really seeing what would mastery look like for these people? What is the, the, the path to like, and, and maybe for some of it, some people, it might be certification is a path to mastery. Maybe you've developed some system or process. That's so amazing that the way to get it out into the world and the way to give somebody mastery of it is teach them how to teach it or help them become a professional in it. Right. So, you know, models of licensing and certification are great big backend models. Um, group coaching programs are great big backend models. Mastermind groups are great big backend models, you know, and the, what I love about all of those actually is that they can, you can ride the energetic of having a collective container, meaning you have, it's not just you with all the magic. I like to say to my people, like, remember, you are not the only source of magic. You are not the magical unicorn that everybody must rub on in order to get some transformation. Like if you really think about you know, there are some amazing people that have so many gifts. Like what if you brought them together and you are the leader of the magic, but you are not the source of the magic, right? You catalyze it, you curate it, you facilitate it, but you don't necessarily have to be the source of it. And that takes a huge, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but it takes a huge burden off of people to think of it that way. Like, Oh wait, maybe I don't have to deliver everything and be the one person that's making this thing work. Like maybe you would just bring incredible people together and let them do their thing with your leadership. So again, I want to hit a little deeper on this thing though. So if somebody's listened to this and they've now they're driving or they're out for their run, the way people listen for podcasts or they're cooking dinner and they've just, the, the hair on the back of their neck went up. They're like, oh my gosh, I love what they're talking about. Okay. Let's walk people through how do they identify what that big back end is so that they can begin with that in mind and then work it forward to the speech. Cause you said something interesting in the, in the beginning and that was the speech is just the beginning. Yeah. And so if the speech isn't the end, if it's just the beginning, if it just exposes us out to these people, there's so many different ways people can go. You talked about group coaching, about masterminds. Of course, we know people could hold retreats, et cetera. Let's get into the nitty gritty of what can people do if the hair on their neck right now is like, yes, Michelle, tell me more. How can they do that? At the risk of being like thought of as overly um, idealistic or optimistic, like 
but you know, I am, that's who I am. It's like, what turns you on? What do you feel jazzed about? Like what, what's the vision that would inspire you? Like, would you like to have a group of people that travel to all ends of the world? That's what I'm, I'm doing. I've, I'm gathering a group of people and we do these incredible trips to these incredible places and do deep inner work and, and things to personal development work together while they're building their businesses. Like that turns me on. I've always wanted to have a group of people that I did cool things with, you know, and had these amazing experiences with that works for me, but somebody else might be a total introvert and not have any desire to do that. Like, okay. So I don't think he would mind me saying this like Nate Woodbury, for example, he's got a big back end, right? Nate Woodbury has a, a YouTube production company, right? And so his ba- big back end is that he's put together the machine, the process and the system that people can put, roll through um, that has them produce a YouTube channel, but he's not the guy there behind the camera. He's not the guy in front of the computer editing, right? He's not doing any of it. He's the mastermind orchestrating it. I would hate doing that. There's too many logistics, right? That would not turn me on at all. So that's the, you know, the real thing is, can you let yourself dream? Can you let yourself envision and not from a place of, and this is the mistake most people make, not from a place of, will this work? Will people buy it? Although we do need to ask those questions. We do, but we don't start with those questions because if we start with those questions, we risk creating something that we hate and that's no fun and that we're not excited to talk about or market or promote. That is such an amazing point. I I just kind of got like all warm and, and fuzzy when you said, if you start with, will people buy it? Will I make a bunch of money? I've seen so many people, including, spoiler alert, myself, who have actually tried to do things because we think it's trendy or it's hot or people are going to buy that topic or do whatever, only to find out that it leaves you feeling, well, you know, if you're trying to do it. And therefore, you're never going to be able to, to, to sell it anyway. So, okay, let's say they say, I love the idea of holding, let's, let's look at like holding weekend retreats. I'll just pick that out of the air. Somebody goes, oh, I would love to work with a small group of 10 or 12. How do we even know how to make that a big back end? Because a lot of people underprice or overprice or don't even know where to price. How, how do we even start at creating a product like that? Okay. This is this is cool, right? Because this actually goes right in with, you know, what I figured out the hard way is that you don't go straight for the big back end. Actually, there's these, the way I look at business is in three parts, the front end, the breakthrough and the big back end. So the breakthrough is the linchpin that ties together the front end and the back end. And so you got to figure out what the breakthrough is going to be that leads to the big back end. And by the way, if you have a vision of doing retreats and these cool things with people with a group, then make your breakthrough that format because those people are more likely to say yes. If they like it already, if they're like, Oh, I'm a, yes, I like that break. I like that. You know, I want to do a retreat. That's my model. Yeah. I want to do three days with incredible people. Okay, cool. Do you want to do that all year? Right. So, right. You make the breakthrough, the linchpin and, and the breakthrough is your best. Like it's your best thing. And it's one thing in my opinion, it doesn't have to be, I guess, but you know, it's, it's something that you, that you really geek out on that you, you deliver at the highest level that you put your energy into it and you, you iterate it over years and make it the best thing ever. Mark LeBlanc would call it your signature program. 
right? And and you you can change it, right? He talks about okay, so this year this is my signature program, but having one signature program that leads into the big back end. So this is so exciting because we've talked about sort of the intro, and in many cases it might be speaking, it might be other things, but the the the, the beginning, and we've talked about oh, you got this big product where people sign up for a year and you go around the world and you do these deep work things. Let's talk more about this breakthrough product. So if we have thought up what the dream big thing is, and we know that that we speak or we do online, uh, you know, webinars and things to get people in the door. Let's talk about this breakthrough piece, this linchpin. What I don't even I, I, I don't even know where to begin. What do I do? Well, first of all, format wise, it can be all sorts of things. Like mine is a three day immersion, um, but other people do six week, you know, programs, six week virtual courses. Like you can format is less important than breakthrough. And what I mean by breakthrough is an outcome that they really want and that they know they want. For example, like, and I'll just use myself as an example because it's the easiest and I've tried and it's not easy to sell people from like, you know, I saw you speak and I'm like, Hey, enroll in this one year program where you're going to have to travel three times and blow like, no. So my breakthrough though, cause my, my aha that I'm helping people have is, Hey, you could have a new business model and your business model can be more joyful, more energy rich. Your business can be more joyful, energy rich, right. In all these ways. And they're like, okay, I want that. And, and how do I work with you? Right. And then the answer is, well, I've got this program. It's called the business breakthrough program. And you come into this and you figure this out. We'll figure it out in a weekend. We're going to figure out in this three days, there's work that leads up to it. It's more than just a weekend, but essentially it's this very compelling outcome that's compressed into a short amount of time so that it's very juicy. And people can be like, wow, I can get that done in a month or I can get that done in six weeks or I can get that done in three days or whatever that is, the shorter you can do it and still deliver that true outcome, the better. And then that's what you really focus on enrolling people into is that breakthrough. And then from the breakthrough, the, the, the big back end is pretty easy usually. So something came to mind and, and we didn't talk about this before. So you may say, no, that's a dumb idea. Or you may say, that's a great idea. Or you may say, well, duh, everybody thinks of that. Is this something, I mean, the speaking business is so lonely, right? I joke that you live right around the corner from me and I never see you in Austin. I see you when we get together at the National Speakers Association. So is this something you could partner? Because I'm big on collaboration. Is this something for that, maybe the big back end or maybe the breakthrough piece, you could partner with one or two other speakers who have similar type topics. You take everybody to get to the middle to that breakthrough and then you could take them out to something bigger. Is, is, is this common? Have you seen people collaborate? Not that much, not that much. The, the, the key is begin with the big back end in mind, right? So if you're going to collaborate on the back end, then absolutely collaborate on the breakthrough. But if you're not, and you want to sell your own thing, you don't want to have three people selling their own stuff at your breakthrough. Gotcha. I'm not a fan of that. And I don't include, and I don't recommend including anything in your breakthrough that isn't going to be carrying forward into the big back end. Nice. Nice. All right. So this has been interesting, but then we have to get to tip number two. And I love tip number two, because I've done this in my speaking career forever, and that is sell it first and then go figure it out. Mm -hmm. So what I mean, obviously, that's somewhat self-explanatory, but let's talk about what you mean by that. Let's talk about what I don't mean, because the, what I see is the problem is that so many people decide they want to create something and then they go and create it. 
And then they spend all this time and energy. This is what I did with my first virtual course ever. It was called make them beg my, and I did it with a partner and she and I, like we mapped it out. We did a production. We did videos. We bought CDs back then or DVDs. We bought the cases. Like we went all out. And by the time we got the product in hand, we were so sick of it that neither of us really wanted to sell it very much. I certainly didn't. Instead, if we had gone and just done all the marketing and sold the thing with a deadline and said, this will be out on April 1st. And we sold the crap out of it. And we're really excited about it because we want to see it, you know, and, and people bought it. Then we'd be, first of all, we would have been probably done it more efficiently, cheaper. We probably would have, you know, had it done faster because we were being pulled forward by that, by those sales. I feel like making a sale to someone puts you in a position where you're like, Oh shoot. Now I got I to do this thing. Like, and it makes a better product Parkinson's law, right? They've done homework. They've done not homework. I've done homework. They've done research on this that says that when you limit the time available to do something, you do it faster and you do it better. And so sell it first, figure it out later is like, don't try to figure it all out on paper and get it perfect and pay for your, like, you know, if you're going to do a retreat, for example, like pay for your venue up front and decide all the menus and all that, and then go out and sell it. Like, here's where we're going to be. And here's the menu. And like, I don't recommend doing any of that. I recommend selling it. Here's the outcome. It's in this city on these dates and I'll, I'll tell you the rest later, you know, like, or this course will be out on this date and I'll tell you the platform later. Like you don't need, I tell people sell the promise, not the production. Ooh, I love that. I love that. Sell the promise, not the production. So when you talk about like having an event and, and, and venues and things like that with your events, do you, do you get sponsors or is this something you just do entirely and it's all paid for by ticket sales? Yeah. So, um, I, first of all, I just want you to know, like I used to do the large event format with sponsors. That's how I, that's how I got my start. Nobody was putting me on a stage. So I just made my own stage and invited people. And that's how I got started 15 years ago. And so I know sponsorship and that's a whole nother business model. It requires proposals and sponsorship decks. And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I hated all that. (laughs) I stopped doing it in 2016. This business model had, you know, become so successful. I just was like, and there was part of me that was really guilty about letting go of any revenue that I could have, you know, but I was like, well, I don't need it. You know? So I stopped it. So no, there are no sponsors the production costs, you know, are not that high. They're much higher when we do my, my thing in person, but we also do it virtually, which is very profitable. Um, and yeah, we just pay the fees. That's why I sell it first. Right. I've always collected more than I pay out before we ever have the event. And then the event itself really is a delivery event for the new people and my old clients, my big back end clients come back to that. So they participate in that sometimes. And it's an enrollment, you know, opportunity for the next one. And let me be clear. I don't advocate doing the thing where you're like, okay, now you've got them in the room. Don't tell them everything so that they need you. And then they'll have to sign up for you. Like give them what they get. get, Don't tell them the what and not the how and all that BS. You know, I don't do any of that. I'm like, give your absolute best, get that outcome. And if you do that, always people will want to keep going. So I love that, that your breakthrough, that linchpin event, you're given 110% into that. You're not trying to hold back to sell them the next thing. And yet you still can sell them the next thing. Because you can't do in three days what you can do in a year. That's all. All right. So I know National Speakers Association, we don't talk about pricing per se. And so I don't want to talk any numbers. I don't want to say pineapples or anything like that. But how does somebody, when they create these linchpin, you know, breakthrough products and the big back end, 
how do they even know? At least like with the speaking side, you kind of know because the market tells you a little bit. If you're speaking for midsize associations, they have a range. If you're speaking for big giant corporations, they have a range. How do you sort of figure out how to price yourself when you're doing your own courses, your own coaching? How do you, how do you even get the gist of where to begin, Michelle? Okay. Well, I mean, I think it's pretty simple and I know we're not, we don't talk about fees for speaking, but we're all, we're allowed to talk about course pricing and product pricing and things like that. That's not under, right. So, cause I have a number and that, that number, I find it to be sort of the magic number for that linchpin event. I feel like if you can generate, and I always say to, to come up with the price you want to charge first and then figure out what, what is the actual product or service. And so the price I like is somewhere between a 2000 and a $5,000 price point for that first breakthrough program. And again, we're not talking any specifics on pricing. That's going to get anybody in trouble on that. You're just talking, that is a range. That's a range. And that's a range that, that people seem to be able to afford. It's not only that, it's a range that, that for the most part, if someone's really committed to something and they really want to make something happen, that's a price point that's reasonable to create an outcome. Sure. And in the world of, of speaking, especially within NSA, having a lot of speaker friends helps because your friends will tell you what they're doing and how they're doing it and things like that. Do you find in the world of, of course creation and putting on events, there's also sort of that same camaraderie? Can you make friends with other people who do these type of products as easily as we can with other speakers to kind of learn the game? Well, I would say it could be that way if there were some sort of NSA type of organization in this space, which actually I don't know of one. Um, but absolutely, I've seen people collaborating on this all the time. I mean, in, in, in my own big back end program, people are sharing best practices and supporting each other in really beautiful ways. So absolutely. I feel like that has more to do with the consciousness of the individual rather than and, and then some industries are a little different. But yeah, people that are in the personal transformation business or, you know, leadership. And we tend to be a more, you know, a conscious bunch, you know, people who want to help other people naturally. So Michelle, before we let you go, you know, our themology for today's episode is all about creating these big back end revenues. Is there anything we haven't covered that you wish that everybody just sort of understood when they were going to get into this? Well, okay. So maybe this is a good time to bring up the even bigger back end. Ooh, so, ooh, I, I don't know that I've heard of the even bigger back end. <laughs> There's the big back end, which I define. This is my made up stuff. I define that as one year monthly recurring revenues, that first initial mastery level program. And when I got to the end of my first year and I had my, my, my first client that was finishing, she came to me and she's like, so what happens now? Like, or do you kick me out or can I keep working with you? Or, and I was like, Oh my God, I went to Mark LeBlanc, who was my coach at the time. And I said, what do I do with this? Like, he's like, sell her a two year contract. I was like, Oh, what? You can do that. <laughs> like, you can do whatever you want. I'm like, oh my God. Okay. So I went back and I offered her a two year agreement. And from then on, she's enrolled in two year chunks going forward. And that's what everybody does now. So the even bigger back end is you're not even just building a one year, you're building potentially a culture, a community, you know, of people that you're going to be working with for years. She's now in her eighth year working with me because wow. um, that's when I started my big back end for the first time. Nice. Well, Michelle, it has been such a pleasure to have you here on Speakernomics. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for all that you do for the National Speakers Association. My pleasure. Thank you. Hey, and thanks to everybody who tuned in and listened. Do me a favor. Join us here on Speakernomics every single week for more thoughts, 
ideas, and actionable information on how to make more money and be more successful as a professional speaker. And always, always remember the motto of this podcast, speak, get paid, repeat. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.